0: This is Cinema Degeneration.
1: Somos soldados del ejército mutante y vamos a ganar la guerra. La sociedad nos trató como mierda y ahora les vamos a dar por el culo. A enseñar a esos mierdas lo que es terrorismo.
0: Alrighty folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration, and this is our Wasteland Appreciation Month, where we're celebrating everything dystopian, wasteland, irradiated, post-apocalyptic, dystopian futures. And this one (laughs) that we have for you this evening is no different than that. We are covering Action Mutante, aka Mutant Action, from 1993, and joining me for the first time ever, a long-time listener of the show, but also a long-time friend, first-time guest, Kay Crawford, our friend from Cinema Wasteland. How the hell are you?
1: I am absolutely fantastic. I'm so amped.
0: (laughs) <laughs> oh, I know we tried getting this going once before, but things didn't line up quite right. But we're finally doing the show together. I know you've been listening to the show for quite a long time, so are, are you nervous about being on the show? <laughs>
1: a little bit because it's the first time I've ever been on a podcast, but I'm still amped. It's with good friends, and it's about awesome movies. So
0: there you go. Well, there's nothing to be afraid of here. It's nothing but a little bit of mutant action. Won't cure. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, Patay and I both have a shared love of this movie, and we had thought about doing this for the Takeout Edition. But I thought to myself, this falls within the confines of the Wasteland theme. And first thing before we get off into our IMDb synopsis and start tearing into this movie bit by bit and breaking it down, I have to ask the one question I ask of all the guests of this Appreciation Month is if this is not your favorite Wasteland post-apocalyptic theme movie, do you have a favorite?
1: This one is definitely top tier just for me. It's the most aesthetically pleasing apocalyptic movie I could think of right off the rip. Right on, right on.
0: Yeah, we've we covered so many. I won't go over mine. I'll just mention it briefly. I'm a basic bitch. I love me some Road Warrior.
1: Oh, that Road That's, Warrior is also great, though. Like, how are you going to top that?
0: <laughs> yeah, this kind of sets the precedence which all other Wasteland themed movies should be held to.
1: Pretty much. If it doesn't have a desert Wasteland at some point in your movie, is it really a post apocalyptic? <laughs>
0: And this one does cover the criteria that I always say that you got to have in at least every Wasteland theme movie. You got to have some sort of fucked up ride. You got to have some sort of car. And they do have a weird Bigfoot style monster truck in here at one point. So it counts. Exactly. But this was released in 1993. It's a Spanish-French film. It's directed and written by Alex de la Iglesia, who also did Day of the Beast and, amongst many others, I just started a show with his. I watched the first couple episodes of it called 30 Coins. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. He's a a very stylistic director. He has a very distinct style. And I remember falling in love with this movie when I first saw it. I'm going to date myself here, but I was a sophomore slash junior in high school when this came out. <laughs> so I'm definitely putting a time stamp on myself right here. I don't know if I should do that, but what the hell I am. A friend of mine named Brian had turned me on to this movie. He sent me his own personal VHS, original VHS of it. And he's like, you have to see this movie. And I'm so glad I did. And I one time I had an Action Mutante t-shirt that I don't remember where I got. I think I got it at a Fangoria show. And I, somebody, <laughs> as I was coming out the theater, one of the Star Wars re-releases just screams at me, Action motherfucking Mutante! And I was just like, what, what, where? I'm like, oh, yeah, I am wearing that shirt.
1: It's like, oh, hello, friend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, did I just make a friend for life? Right. (laughs) Now, this, as I understand, it is not streaming anywhere, but I have it on, it was on Tubi, I think, for a short time, but things come and go off of Tubi. But if you don't have this, uh, folks listening at home, I'm going to assume, Kay, that you probably have this on the Severin Blu-ray release. Yep.
1: Yep. I do have a Blu-ray release of it.
0: Yep, that's what I picked up, and I watched about an hour and a half of some of the the extras on it, the well-done baloney interview with the director, Alex, and also the fucking boss interview with actor Antonio Razines that plays Ramon in here. He, he's something to behold. So I got to ask, before I even get off into the IMDb synopsis, what was your first impressions of this movie, and do you remember the first time you watched this?
1: So this has been a movie that's been on my list of ones to track down for ages and eons. Because like a lot of people, if I see a poster art that just immediately screams at me, I have to track it down. This is just something that caught my attention aesthetically. (laughs) It's a red star with somebody in a wheelchair holding up a machine gun. Come on. What <laughs> more So it's always been backburnered, but in my quest of buying as many movies I can and then subsequently watching as many movies as I can, it ended up falling off the list at some point. Other things would take its place. And when Severin finally did their release of it, I snatched it as quick as I could. And finally I have this movie. I have to watch it. Immediately threw it in the player and was just oh my goodness, why did it take me this long to get
0: this? (laughs) Did you feel like you had missed out on something there for a little while?
1: Pretty much. Like, why did... I'm looking at my movies, and I'm just thinking, I don't know, why did Death Ranch come before this? (laughs) And nothing against Death (laughs) Ranch. That movie whips, but...
0: Yeah, I remember when I first saw this movie, it just blew my mind, because I don't know what I was quite expecting. I don't know what 17-year-old Cam was expecting in this movie, but... The way I summed it up at the very end, along with my rating, is I sum it up as beautiful chaos. It's so beautifully shot, especially when you get to some of the exterior scenes with the spaceship and mutant actions, home base. It's some beautiful miniature work in the map paintings that, that went into that. It was long before the days where everything was, I hate to use this as a stigma, but everything was CGI'd. Everything just looks the same. It's just, it's just a chef's kiss. It's such a great, great film.
1: Oh yeah, every facet of this film is so thoughtfully put together. It's easy to say that things are just a product of love, but very few times you can tell that the people that made this movie genuinely put their blood, sweat, and tears and love into it. And just, it shows on film.
0: Yes, it does. And when listening to some of the extras on it, this was not an easy film to make. This Mm -hmm. was really hard to make. It was really... Horrible working conditions, disgusting working conditions, long hours in makeup, chairs, but everybody had nothing but the best of things to say about this. Oh, yeah. You know, and you could tell it was a labor of love. And especially with Antonio, who plays Ramon, the leader of the mutant you know, like rebellion, and uh, Alex Angelo, who plays Alex, <laughs> who's mm-hmm. also the star of uh, Delacia's film Day of the Beast. You know, So these people all come back for his films, mm-hmm. and they all seemed like they were having such a great time. So it was made back when these people were young. <laughs> and full of mm. vigor and life. <laughs> so they had a great time making it. At least that was the impression that I got, especially with the behind-the-scenes material.
1: Yeah, I did not get a chance to dive into the special features yet. It's been ones that I've been wanting to get to. But I also re-watched this movie again last night just to refresh what I'm watching.
0: Yeah, I watched it twice. I often say I don't need an excuse to have to watch this movie, but I love having one. Exactly. Because it's just, well, let's go ahead and get right off into the movie. I usually do a quick IMDb synopsis. Which is uh, as follows, Mutant Action from 1993, comedy, fantasy, and sci-fi film. In a future ruled by attractive people, mutant terrorists kidnap a rich man's daughter to claim rights for the ugly. Escaping police, the mutant leader crashes into a planet of crazy miners where no women live. And that is a brief glossary of things because I feel like this movie is so much different. It's got some shit to say. When you open on that screaming face and then it just widens up as he's being duct taped and restrained and you see a a pair of conjoined twins, a hunchback, a flying paraplegic, and a giant, you know you're off to an interesting start.
1: Right. Oops, all politics and aesthetics.
0: (laughs) But I love the sense of humor of this movie, too. It's right up my alley of having the dark sense of humor because they're all arguing. All these mutants of this group are arguing over how to correctly restrain their kidnapping victim. In the meanwhile, they smother him to death. And is this kind of like... Oops, well, I guess we fucked up. I guess we're leaving here without anything. And it's just if that is the kind of thing that turns you off, folks, you tuned into the wrong show. I'm just telling you. You tuned into the wrong show here. But I love like how you find out that the guy that they were trying through the you know, the crime report, because it's a hard cut. It's like, oops, we accidentally killed our kidnapping victim. Crime report, oh, he was the president of the bodybuilding association, and this is attributed to the group Mutant Action or Action Mutante, which is a terrorist gang, and then we get that lovely I am a sucker for movies with their own theme song. And this movie does not skim on that. They have the action with Tante theme song that they play several times. And I, I don't know about UK, but I'm here for it. Uh,
1: I'm here for it all day. It whips. It goes hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great stuff. Now, I got to ask, do you have a favorite character out of the mutant action gang?
1: Alex is great. <laughs> I love his character. <laughs> and then... Um... The one that pops out of the cake with the machine gun after getting stabbed, that dude is fun. There's so many likable characters in this movie, all of it.
0: Oh, the one that pops out of the cake wasn't his name, huh?
1: Oh, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The names they have for everybody. I wrote down specifically the names, everybody. We got Alex and Juan, the conjoined twins. Sadar, aka Quim, who is a guy who has five kilos of dynamite permanently embedded in his chest. Not that they ever explain that, but you know, do you do you need to? And it just is.
1: So, are we? Is this movie trying to say that it's in deep conversation with like a Cronenberg type character? Because I really like that thought.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, it could be. I mean, it's made in Spain. Cronenberg primarily exists in Canada, but you know, it's a shared universe. So fuck it, why not?
1: I know, right? Organic meets machine. Why not?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly, and then we've got the other characters. We got Jose, who is a.k.a. the handyman, the mechanic in the neck brace, who's been arrested 50 plus times. Again, they don't get into why or how he's, what he's been arrested for, but you don't need to know. Then you got Amanavi, a.k.a. M.A., who is a deaf and dumb mute, low IQ, but strong man. So, you know, he's kind of like of a, a Mice and Men kind of character. They got Jose, a.k.a. Humps, the hunchback dwarf, and then Ramon, the leader in the brains, but little is known about him at first uh, because they kind of gloss over that in the beginning. It slams right from that to the wedding. And, you know, Ramon is getting out of jail after being in jail for five years. And this is the one thing that, that I have a problem with this movie. It's the only thing that might knock it down from a 10 to a 9. So I might be giving away my rating here just right off the bat. But I might amend that by the time the show ends. <laughs> but it's the fact that they're letting him out of jail. They know he's linked to the mutant action group, but they let him out of jail into the mutant action group. Uh, Custody? Yeah,
1: <laughs> they all just had their mugshots sprayed across every TV in this whole area. But yeah, we're just gonna let them hang outside the prison and pick their buddy up. It's it's totally cool.
0: Yeah, it's like no problem here whatsoever. But uh, they're going to the Aruhu, or I'm probably really butchering that name, Aruhu or Rojo, or wedding of his daughter Patricia to be held, you know, and it's foreshadowing. And I got to say that this might be giving away things uh, a little bit early, but again, we don't always cover things here in a linear fashion, which being a long time listener of the show, you know this. Sometimes we amble around, but that wedding. Now, would you agree that the, one, the wedding is, do you ever think anything's happy is going to come with this wedding? And Game of Thrones wedding ain't got shit on this not at all
1: right like yeah red wedding is cool but have you had somebody jump out of a cake with a machine gun and try mowing people down
0: (laughs) you know and not just that but poor patricia again another patty uh stabs into the cake wounds humps and (laughs) and, (laughs) and, like stabs him in the side and essentially kills him fucking the whole wedding plan the wedding plan up of the given the state of their lair that they're more worried about the fact that they got laundry hanging and the dishes haven't been done than trying to adhere to the steps of the plan
1: Right. And like feeding their cat, which is just this obnoxious screeching thing that pops out of like a trap door.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a cat, but it's not a cat. It's a weird mutated. I mean, I guess it's a mutated cat, right? I mean, everything in this movie is mutated at some point.
1: Sure. <laughs> it's like this, this version <laughs> of reality is a cat that makes pig screeching noise.
0: <laughs> right. Kind of looks a little bit like Spot from uh, The monsters. Basically. Yeah, you know, If it was an alien. Yeah, you know. But I don't love uh, random police beatings, but like I love how everywhere they go, there's police jumping out of cars, randomly beating up pedestrians everywhere they go. They round a corner, some cops are jumping out of a police truck, beating on the homeless. They're beating on these mutants and stuff. It's just without giving you a lot of detail, this you know, futuristic world of 2012. I'm using air quotes here again that you can't see. It paints a wide picture, at least I think so, without having to give you a lot of details. It tells you the, about the class system that there is here between, you know, the beautiful and the, the mutants, a.k.a. the ugly.
1: Um, yeah, because there's virtually no police presence at this wedding. Like, you've, you've got your robot figures that M.A. just blows away at the beginning, but that's about the most authority that class of people comes across.
0: Yeah, beat them down, keep them down to the ground and keep them there. That's like, t- that's all they do. <laughs> it's not that far off from the future of 2012. It's not that far off from the present day of 2023. I'm just saying, just runs- saying a little bit. And this is where I really got one of my first big notes that I wrote here in all caps on, like, the exterior shots of this show, just how much detail went into this thing. It's beautifully shot, and I didn't write down the name of the cinematographer, which I should have, which I can look it up while we're going here, but I won't stop the show to do that. I'll look it up in the meanwhile. Uh, But the cinematographer deserves a lot of accolades here because he turns this thing into beautiful chaos. Disgusting beauty is another way I like to describe it. It's just, again, just a, a chef's kiss to this movie.
1: Oh, yeah. Just like I said, everything about it is so thoughtful and so deliberate. Just,
0: mm. yeah, and then like the thing that I love about it, too, is it doesn't go overboard with the comedy. The comedy is really done in uh, not in a backhanded kind of way. That's not the term I'm looking for, but it's just it almost feels like the dark humor is an afterthought. Mm -hmm. If you're in the know, you know, this kind of dark humor. If if you're not, you're going to be set off. You're going to be triggered by this movie by everything. It's a beautifully shot film, but it's not a pretty film. It's not a kind film. It's a very dark, dark, dirty, nasty kind of film, but that's the kind of movie I'm here for.
1: Oh, absolutely. If People who enjoy Freaks, you can have this. And people who maybe want something a little meaner and with a little more to say, maybe in a more updated version, here you go.
0: Yeah, again, I would love to see Alex direct a bigger budget sequel slash remake to this. Most of the time I would kick myself in the ass for saying such a thing that a movie like this should be remade. With a big, big budget, this could be just off the hook.
1: Right, that or, like, knowing that the director has a thing for comic books and, like, degree in philosophy as well. I wouldn't mind seeing a comic series of this, if not a bigger budget remake.
0: Ooh, a graphic novel or some of the sorts would be awesome to see of this. Yeah. I got a, a question here. It's something I've never quite understood. Was What was the green slime that everybody was getting covered in? Was that supposed to be the flu that they were talking about?
1: Yeah, I think that, that was the brake fluid for their ship, I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was just never clear to me. As many times as I've watched this movie, I was just like, is that supposed to be just straight-up slime or brake fluid or a combination of the two?
1: Right. <laughs> it's like beautiful parts of the movie that, of course, the ship is cobbled together and falling apart. Of course. it's <laughs> Why wouldn't
0: it be? <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't it be held together with dirt, grime, rust, spit, and duct tape? Basically. Yeah. And (laughs) I love when Ramon lays it down with just how bad of fuck-ups the team really is. He runs a list where they've messed up. Oh, yeah, he's like, "Uh, what about the sperm bank? What about the beauty pageant? What about the bodybuilding association guy? And they're just, yeah, 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 we kind of fucked that one up. And yeah, we kind of fucked that one up, too. His Ramon speech is just great. I think it really says something to Antonio's acting. Because looking at him as a much older man here, because I'll be honest, this is one of the only things I know him from. Mm -hmm. that plays Ramon, looking at the extras. I know you didn't have a chance to dive into those, but if you get a chance when the show's over, I would highly recommend the documentary on the Severn release, The Fucking Boss, that's an interview with Antonio. It's really, really good. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, his speech is great. And again, another hard cut to, I'm not sure how you feel about this, but it's a hard cut to a party that I would not want to be caught dead at. I would not want to be there.
1: No, hard pass. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> it just doesn't look like a lot of fun, especially when they all show up and start fucking everything up it really doesn't seem like it's a lot of fun. But oh, fuck, it's it, 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 there was something about parties in 90s movies that just made me go, uh, no, no, I don't I, I, I don't think I want any part of this.
1: Yeah, it's one of those fun to watch as a spectator. But if given the chance, you know, I'm good. <laughs>
0: Yeah, right. But speaking of caught, they get caught at the door, which I nicknamed the cake guard. They're like, why do you need so many people? Because they put this cake together, they put humps inside of it. And the first thing they say is, you only let two of you in, so they leave everybody else at the door. So I think it was just Alex and Juan that got sent in, because, of course, sending in the conjoined twins. They say, try not to get noticed. I find that very ironic. I'm not. I don't know about UK, but I find that ironic. Like, try not to get noticed where they're the only mutants at this party filled with hundreds of rich, beautiful people.
1: Which again, also having their mugshot plastered all over every TV in the area. And oh yeah, sure, these are the people that are catering our party, of course. <laughs> yeah. Speaking volumes about the feelings of the people attending this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Talk about immediately standing right the fuck out. Right. Uh, and preparing for this plan, raiding this party, it's like preparing for it is like a Stooges sketch. You know things are going to go sideways, and it really does, and it's not really by any fault of theirs. It's because the the wife, Patricia, and the husband, Luis, was, Luis was his name, hands her the butcher knife. She goes to cut into it, and, okay, I'll let you take this one. What happens next?
1: Just screaming and pulling out a bloody knife, and everything just gradually goes quiet. <laughs> <laughs> A minute or two I, later, uh, no, they have the music cue, and then he pops out with a machine gun and just starts letting people have it.
0: I know. I love that part. Everything just goes silent, and everybody stares. They don't know what's gone wrong, but they know she's screaming. She's holding a bloody knife. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's just carnage from there on out. Cutting the cake goes wrong. He comes out gun ablaze and just machine-gunning everybody. And then this is probably... One of my two or three favorite scenes, I'll get into what your favorite scene is here in a second, but i got to talk about mine for a moment. The real cake guys show up. The real cake delivery guys show up with sparklers on the cake. Everything's dark in the room. And blam. They just <laughs> shot point blank right then and there. Blam dead. And all this left is poor Patricia, the daughter of the tycoon. Now, I'm not sure if that's your favorite scene. I'm sure it's probably not. You've probably got many others that you like more than that. But what is your favorite scene of this movie?
1: If it isn't the end scene at the bar, where are just absolute chaos. <laughs> if it isn't that, it's definitely the wedding scene. But also special shout out to the humor. For me, this kind of humor is always going to hit just M.A. with the cake guards. They keep trying to convince him to let him in. They keep not doing it. And they're like, "Okay, dokie, fine, firepower it is. And he just blows them away.
0: <laughs> and those guns are so friggin neat looking. I love a movie that creates its own science fiction lingo and kind of creates its own weaponry and its own ships and its own tech and whatnot. And again, that's another thing that this movie its another box that it checks off for me.
1: Yeah, it's just one more thing that's just like this was made by people who cared so much about this. They wanted it to be the coolest thing, and they succeeded.
0: Right. The one part that sets odd in my stomach is the way that they pretty much sacrifice M A. They set him off just to like tell him hey, go out there, go. I can't remember the line of dialogue, but head on out there, do your thing, and he gets blown away two seconds later. I felt like they totally sacrificed him. For no reason other than to just sacrifice him.
1: Yeah, I mean, not only is it just like a shit thing to do to, you know, your comrade, but it's also a shit thing to do strategically because now you've just lost your brunt and your good source of firepower.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they lost their muscle is what they did. They went in and like, hey, let's take our firepower and our muscle and throw him away. Here you go. It's cool. (laughs) This movie, I mean, again, it's not a detriment to the film, but it does a lot of hard cuts. one scene to the next they don't get they barely give you a chance to breathe and take in what you've just seen then all of a sudden we're going right into the Ransom video. You find out that they're head, heading off Earth to a planet called Axturius, which is a, a mining planet, a gas mining planet. And Ramon says to them, to the father and the husband, that he wants $100 million. And he did not tell, I mean, we might be kind of jumping back and forth here a little bit, but he did not tell the rest of his team that. He told the rest of the team that it was $10 million. Yeah. So something happened to him in prison, I think, and they never quite explore. At least, if they did, maybe you found something in this that I haven't in watching it. But they never explore why he did that. I think he was just a shady dude that was just looking to get out of there with as much money as possible and retire after serving right. prison. But maybe there was something bigger that I missed.
1: Yeah, that's a lot, I think, of what they were kind of alluding to. We don't get a whole lot of why he was in prison, and it's just never really asked. But like at some point, something just switches, and it goes from, yeah, I'm going to be the leader of this armed resistance, presumably we want revolution, we want to be recognized as people and not treated as subhuman, to, oh, you know what, if I can make off with a lot of money and not have to deal with this, okie dokie, bye, and just immediately change his gear. And all of his team becomes expendable in that moment, which we see in the ship.
0: Yeah, and I love the part when the ship, when they get, oh gosh, who was it that was pretending to be the sailor? Trying oh, to God. remember. Now. Um, was it uh, Quim? No, it wasn't Quim. It was a handyman.
1: Yes, yes, handyman.
0: He's got even a prosthetic on front of him, so his arms aren't in those uh, braces. He's got false arms and a false front put on him. And he's talking to the, I guess, almost like space marines or space police, and they're trying to figure, you know, they're showing him pictures of Ramon. Have you seen this man? So he tries to throw him off their scent, disguising their ship as a fishing vessel, which I thought it was weird that they're going space fishing on another planet. But, you know, hey, in this futuristic world of 2012, anything is possible.
1: Sure. Why not? <laughs> they <laughs> a water covered world somewhere.
0: Maybe they're heading to water worlds.
1: it's not a podcast with me if we don't mention kevin costner at least once shout out to dan
0: (laughs) (laughs) kevin costner fan are we
1: uh that's dan i'm just along for the ride there
0: (laughs) (laughs) i still have not gotten into yellowstone yet but i'm about to start we just got so many damn shows that we need to when you got 11 shows that you're already currently watching that adding five seasons of another show just isn't in the books Basically. (laughs) But I will, I will. But yeah, say like when they're all talking about their ten million and they're playing cards and they're betting fifty thousand a hand and they tell the one guy, like, you're already into us for two hundred and forty thousand, you're two point four million if you you got about another hundred grand and you're gonna lose and you're gonna have no money. And then but wait, it's ten million? Hmm. But this speaks volumes again to the humor, the dark humor of this movie because they got a backdrop set up. You don't see Patricia, you don't really know what's happened to her, it falls down and she's Gag to this chair and her mouth is stapled the fuck shut oh shit this is getting into some like a uh, hellraiser type territory here right but, yeah, it, this movie moves along. I think you'll probably agree, Kay, that it moves along at a brisk pace because they go to confront uh, Ramon because don't they see a news report where the father says, oh, yeah, the kidnappers are asking for $100 million, But they're like, hmm, is Ramon setting us up? Because he told us $10 million, so he tries to – it just moves along at such a brisk pace. It doesn't – there's no time for dilly-dallying in this movie. They don't waste time explaining things to you they explained it in the picture that's on the screen they don't have to have a lot of and not Not that i'm dissing this movie but like oppenheimer is a movie that overly explained everything yes i'm comparing oppenheimer to action mutante yes i am folks
1: and we know it's a real classic here and it's Axion mutante <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's fucking a right i'm giving you a virtual high five from two states away okay like
1: step aside nolan excuse us
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the glacia here <laughs> you know, it was kind of like, again, I am want to make another comparison here when I first saw House of Thousand Corpses and I r- realized that the guy playing the father in that movie was the same guy who played older Private Ryan in Saving Private Ryan. I'm like, yep, see, he survived World War II in Spielberg's movie, but he did not survive Rob fucking Zombie. This is the comparison I'm drawing here. I'm drawing a weird segue. Uh,
1: hey, it works for me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I got a question for you. Did you, up until this point when they confront Ramon, did you suspect him of any foul play against his teammates, or did that come out of the blue for you the first time you watched this?
1: The first time I watched it, I with Ramon, I kind of was eyeballing him the whole time, just kind of the way he would talk at his comrades as opposed to, like, to them. Talks to them like they're stupid. And yeah, of course, the comical mishandling of various kidnapping things throughout the thing, sure, fine. It's always had an undercurrent of, I guess, more meanness, I guess, as opposed to just frustrated with his team. It gave that feeling like, if I get a chance to fuck these people over and climb away from this kind of shit, that's immediately what I'm going to do.
0: Yeah, I kind of always, just from the beginning where they explained how everybody, how their mutation came about or what their, you know, the conjoined twins or MA and whatnot, they explained everything about them. With Ramon, it was, he's the leader in the brains. That's it.
1: He's got a cool half-face eye mask kind of deal, and that's it.
0: Yeah, and that mask is super cool. I'm telling you, if I was better at cosplay and stuff, I would totally cosplay as Ramon from this movie. Oh, hell yeah. I'd have to have somebody make the outfit, but I'd wear it. I'd do it. That would be an awesome cosplay to come across. And it would be, like, the type of thing where only one person would ever get who you were trying to be, but that would be the one person that matters.
1: Exactly. We're doing this for you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> we did it for people like you it's like we're right we're reviewing this we're doing it for fans like us exactly oh the biggest what the fuck moment other than when i'm gonna jump around here a little bit other than when alex actually separates from his conjoined twin in a disgusting fashion is when ramon feeds the handyman to that cat like lizard thing that's hidden in their like cargo <laughs> hole
1: the creature from the thing that they borrowed from the effects department.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it was like a, an extra th- from the thing that they just can we get this on loan from protein? Cool. Can we just get it lo- on loan? He gets it so bad. He doesn't just get like his head chomped off like that. It's chewing. It's biting. It's gnawing at him. It's like tearing him up and they try to pull him out of it. And and Ramon is totally sowing the seeds dissidents here. Because Patricia sees the whole thing go down, but her mouth is stapled shut, so she can't tell anybody. She's trying to motion with her eyes, but everybody is just ignoring her and pretty much slapping her around at every chance they got. She gets so abused in this movie, and I felt actually pretty bad for the actress that played Patricia. Now, I'm going to probably butcher her name, but I think it was Frederick Feder. I might be pronouncing that wrong. I probably am. If it's anything besides a name like Bill Smith, you can probably rest assured that I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but it is not on purpose. I'm not trying here, but Frederick is just so great as Patricia, and when she flips that switch and goes full on into like the Stockholm Syndrome mold is where I fall in love with her. I love her character from that point. For first, I wasn't even feeling sorry for her because she was the daughter of an evil tycoon that's how bent on destroying the world and perpetuating that class system, that divide that they have. Mm-hmm. But when she actually starts to go into the Stockholm Syndrome kind of mode, you I don't know, I accepted her as that character at that point.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like a weird dynamic because for her, more or less getting dragged out of the class that she was in and down with the mutants as it were you kind of almost see like a dynamic shift i'm not above these people i'm now one of them i'm sitting here with my mouth stapled shut kind of against my will doing my own thing i guess these are my people now and when i think it when it eventually turns on them that like, dad doesn't care i'm just going to blow things up anyway who gives a shit and keep my money fuck my kid basically <laughs> talk about another what the
0: fuck moment right
1: oh my daughter oh that sucks bye i'm still destroying everything because i like money more than you i think that's where the, the the switch flips completely i'm not better than these people and i should be right there with them
0: i agree but <laughs> there's a famous comedian uh, used to say it's a sick world but i'm a happy guy because i love when patricia tries warning the others about what's going on and Ramon's is like Oh, you know, there's a traitor here. I think somebody is uh, trying to throw us off, so we need to stick together. And the first thing he does is get poor Quim alone and pulls the plug on him, so to speak. And he's like, yeah, I found out who the, the killer was or who the snitch is or the traitor is. And he just leans in real close and he's like, it's me. How disappointing, eh? And then he just pulls his pin, leaves him in the room with that five kilograms of dynamite and just blows him up and this blames him on suicide. Holy shit, man. Right, <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> what it takes to to do that to your team? Come on, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, a team that served you for how many years before you went into prison? Five years while you were in prison. Even okay, yeah, they were fuck ups, but the five years while you're in prison stayed loyal to you, and you just blow them all up for a bigger piece of the pie. He's kind of like Paul Reiser's character in Aliens.
1: Yeah, that's that's actually a really solid comparison.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him and Paul Reiser, fuck the two of them, man.
1: Right, for real. <laughs> His team, because you know they're criminals, they probably can't have, they probably do not have access to getting firearms legally, so there are a bunch of criminals who are trying to stay out of prison for the cause that this guy's rallying them around just to have them fuck them over one by one in, like, a Scooby-Doo-style, <laughs> like, setup.
0: Right, scooby doo is like, a good way to describe it.
1: We go from one to the other to the next, and then all of a sudden, oh, and then there was one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I kind of describe yeah. it as Ramon is like an evil Mo from the Three Stooges if he meant to kill Curly and Larry. Basically. <laughs> yeah, but I love that part. It's me. How disappointing. And then 30 seconds later, after blaming it on suicide, he tells Alex and Juan, you yeah, know, well, you guys should probably get some sleep here. Get some rest. And he wakes up to Ramon burying a hatchet or a sword into Juan's brains, killing him. Yeah. So now Alex has got that, like conjoined twin that's dying or dead on his shoulder that they're connected to it's it's just that whole part of the movie that whole aspect that whole theme of it of carrying around a dead conjoined twin it's like
1: that with alex carrying the corpse with him through that desert having survived that whole ordeal it says a lot without beating you over the head with it even through deliberate attempts at extermination this is still gonna go on Mutants are still going to exist, and you can die mad about it, basically.
0: (laughs) Right. Oh, man. Alex immediately does not take it very well. They get covered in more green goo, or the brake fluid, so it's safe to say Ramon at this point is a piece of shit who is not wounded. He's been shot in the shoulder, shot in the the hip by Alex. I I say people take wounds in this movie very easily, except for um, Humps. He took that knife to the side, and he died instantly. But Ramon, he's kind of our reluctant... Hero. I don't even know what to even call him. He's not a hero. He's not a villain. He's kind of an in between and intermediate because I feel like the real villain in in this movie is Patricia's father. He's willing to kill everybody, including you know, using a mini nuke to destroy part of the planet just to not have to give up a hundred million dollars.
1: Right. Her father and Ramon, I think, are two in the same because it shows that same kind of attitude. I'm not giving up my share of jack shit. Fuck all of you. I'll kill you in a moment's notice.
0: Well, at least Ramon has the attitude of, what am I? I'm the fucking boss. And the dad is just money grubby. But Ramon, at least, I don't know. I, I kind of, I find Ramon to be a more colorful character, at least, is I guess what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. He's really really charismatically written and he's he's just a dynamic character across the board. But yeah, that same shitty just money grubby fuck all of you. I've got mine.
0: Yeah, I got mine. Get yours, you know, so to speak.
1: Yeah, but and then shitting on a bunch of mutants. Mm. <laughs> <Right. laughs> no, you're already stepping on like disadvantaged characters in this movie. Come on, man.
0: Yeah, it can't possibly get worse here. Hold my beer. Basically. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like it was impossible for them to have survived yeah. that attack on the ship when they shut down the ship and they crash. But you got to suspend some disbelief, especially with a movie like this.
1: Yeah, they shouldn't have survived. Realistically, they wouldn't have. But sure. But why not? The structure of that can't be all that awful, even though it's kind of implied that it's a rickety piece of shit. Because when he explodes, it just you see the light, you hear it shakes a little bit, but it doesn't do anything in any structural damage to the ship
0: yeah it separates it in half but the two halves survive pretty well when they crash yeah this is their version of the millennium Falcon. it's a hunk of junk but it gets the job done
1: exactly it does exactly what you need it to without complaining yeah okay maybe it complains a little but
0: <laughs> well they blow it they blow it right the fuck up so i mean yeah it's gonna complain a little bit you know <laughs> <laughs> when they get out of the ship, when Ramon drags Patricia out of the ship and he just kind of dumps her into the sand, she wakes up. She is immediately like, I think she just bonked her head and just made a psychological flip. Again, knowing that her father set the bomb, off, the, the charge off to blow up the ship, knowing that she was on it, not giving a shit. But all that Ramon can say is, oh, God, not Stockholm Syndrome again. He literally says the words, not Stockholm Syndrome again, implying that this has happened before with somebody else.
1: Hmm. <laughs> And the plot thickens with Ramon. How many supposed armed resistance groups has he been the leader of? Hmm.
0: Oh, you know, I never thought of that. Wow, you blew my mind right there. I didn't even think about the, the fact that this might not have been the first rodeo where he had sacrificed another team. Yeah, yeah, good one, Dang, yeah, You made me open my eyes up to some about this movie that I never even considered before. Hey. Bravo. <laughs> thumbs up. Thumbs up. All right, where are we in the story here?
1: Dragging her around basically like a caveman on this planet after like, oh, Stockholm Syndrome again, this thing.
0: (laughs) Just dragging her by her hair and she could care less. She's just talking to him about like what's going on just as if it's a normal conversation that she's bound, hands and feet bound together and just getting dragged around, like you said, caveman style. Wild. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of wild, Alex still alive and carrying her wand around the desert And I love how he says, uh, I think it was at one point that the desert rat, the the blind, as I call him the desert rat, but he's really just a blind man. He's like, mutations will make us all equal. And I think that says something about this movie.
1: It's very trying to, to.
0: Yes. Like there's something monstrous about all of us, but if there's something monstrous about us all are any of us really monstrous. Exactly. I expected the blind desert prophet to really try to fuck Alex over. Mm -hmm. At one point, because he's kind of like a a soothsayer, you know, he knows all about the planet. He tells them about this planet when they get there that there is, there are no women left on this planet. They have all died, and Alex is, you know, in love with Patricia, so he wants to find her. He's like, yeah, if, if they, if she's already here, she's done for, you know, because. The the mind of these crazy miners are gonna find her, they're gonna fuck her up, they're gonna do bad things to her. But at the same time, he's also I'm gonna use an air quotes here again that you can't see. He's using his embalming techniques to embalm his conjoined twin Juan, who has been dead for a while, and it keeps comically resetting his crunchy neck. Every time he moves him around, the next disc gets crunchier and crunchier, and I'm a sick person because I couldn't stop laughing.
1: Yeah, it's one of those all oh, right. That's that's the route we're going to take. Okay, let's go for it. Just carrying around your embalmed brother because embalming fluid, if they're conjoined, that's that's going to go into Alex's half of the body here, too. <sighs> sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like I said, he, the desert wrap this the, the note that I had here. Desert wrap embalms Juan, which probably ain't good for Alex. Right. <laughs> but when they happen upon that family, and I didn't write down the names of any of the family members except for the grandpa. You know that ain't good. Because they all – when they come in and they tell grandpa, they tell grandpa that, hey, there's a woman outside, and he's like, oh, he's been spending too much time in the sun. And he makes some big to-do about, oh, we had a wife leading us to believe that the the blind desert rat and them all had the same wife. Like, there was just one woman, because they say, yeah, oh, you know how delicate women are, just couldn't hold up. And it's like, well, probably if she was the only woman there, you guys used her, abused her, and did horrible things. Thankfully, they never really get into that kind of thing, because it, it doesn't need to go there. You can get there with just, what's the word I'm looking for here, the implication of the ordeal.
1: Right. It has the same kind of vibe as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just without being as documentary-feeling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right like, right
1: like we're a porch step away from seeing the bones of their
0: wife strapped to a chair or something well doesn't the desert rat at one point i keep calling him that that's not his name but uh, the desert rat uh, when he shows alex the hanging tree and doesn't he say that the bones of the lady that's hanging there was his wife you know what
1: you are right you are right
0: so we but, already know that bad things happen to her
1: exactly So we don't quite get bone furniture, but we get the remnants hanging from a tree. Equally not great.
0: (laughs) And we get a grandpa character. Yeah. Who kind of sort of looks like the big Hulk of a guy from Pieces without a mustache. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I could definitely see that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think the most... Pardon my French here. I know we're both, as I like to call us, cinema wasteland alumni, so we're not politically correct here. But I got to say this, that horrible mutilation of Ramon by the youngest son made my butthole pucker. I'm sorry to say it so crudely, but that's exactly how I wrote it in my notes. So that's exactly how I'm going to say it. It's so sick. He's pouring salt in his wounds and just carving a hole in his chest with a razor blade and just kind of wiping the excess meat off on his body armor and then pouring salt in the wound and then slicing some more. And then pouring what I thought was gasoline into the wound and slicing some more. It gets into some Texas Chainsaw Massacre type vibes because we do have a grandpa character. We have skeletons and we have torture.
1: True, true. For me, watching that, it was kind of hard to feel bad for Ramon just because we just watched him waste his whole team just about. (laughs) You're a lot of a dick.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can't say that I felt sorry for him, but it's just implication of the pain. Yeah, it's a squirm-tastic moment, as I like to call it. As someone who's had open-heart surgery, anytime I see anybody slicing open somebody's chest bit by bit, it just hits a different chord with me. (laughs) It's
1: just like, ooh, no thanks. We could have done without that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I could have done without seeing that. I just remember right after having my surgery, we watched an episode of the last season of X-Files at the time, so it tells you how long ago this was, several years ago. And there was a scene where a guy uses a machine to remove somebody's heart. And I was just, like, turning away from that. I'm like, Patty, my dear, you can tell me when that shit is off the screen because I am not watching any more of that shit.
1: Hey, Chris Carter, I'm literally sitting in a hospital bed right now. Can you not?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did this need to be on primetime Fox? I mean, not that I believe in censorship, but give a motherfucker a warning. Something.
1: Please, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. But yeah, yeah, it didn't really feel bad for a moment. It was just a squirmy kind of moment, but it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And uh, This is the line of the movie. I'm, I'm glad they didn't show anything in this scene. But when the guy when the grandfather says, come on in here and watch your grandfather work as he's going into the room where Patricia is strapped down to the bed, implicating that they're going to gang rape her. And he's like, watch your grandfather. Like, learn something. Is this ew? No, just no, let's not. Let's not watch your grandfather do that kind of thing
1: right we've seen jin side do this and
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah right then we get some more torture by the wild miners they show up and they kill the blind prophet there is uh i call him the desert rat with one shot i like how they compose this shot because you heard the sound effect of the gun go off and the camera tilts down and he's just got that soft ball size hole in the middle of his chest and it's just like well well that's that's it he's fucked (laughs) yep nope done (laughs) yep there's some more torture by the wild miners. They don't hang Alex, they hang Juan, the dead brother. So he's still there attached to him. And poor Alex gets his ass handed to him in this movie. He goes through so much horror for a guy. He wasn't uh, innocent either. Everybody in this movie, besides Patricia's kind of varying shades of gray of bad guys. But yeah, it's just weird. It's just weird.
1: Right. Poor dude can't catch a break for shit in this movie. Out of all of the morally ambiguous characters, somehow Alex is the least questionable to a degree.
0: Yeah. I mean, in the end, he falls in love with Patricia. And throughout the second half of the movie, he becomes all about trying to save her. Yeah. So he's not the least morally enough person in the movie, I'm just saying. Yeah. But again, here we go. Another hard cut. Ramon and Patricia are just free because last thing you saw was Ramon getting tortured and getting sliced up. And so, you know, they're in a car and this is all it. And this is really kind of you kind of moment because I got kind of a Lawrence Harvey vibe from this guy, the panty sniffer. I guess you could call him the guy from Human Centipede. I'm
1: yeah, to it's very much like Peter Bark meets Lawrence Harvey.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, like oh, it was cost me my panties. And when he opens the door to to the, I guess you could call it the rape den or whatever you want to call it, because it's, it's <laughs> all it is. Jesus. That's what it is. I mean, it is. It totally is. Basically. Uh, yeah. Well, well, he's got his grandfather tied up between the asses of his two grandsons. His, his face is planted between the, his two grandsons' asses. I, again, I paused the movie for a bit at this point because I couldn't write notes. I couldn't compose myself. I was just laughing my ass off. Right. <laughs> and they tell him, I'm not going to come in there and free you, the, the youngest grandson, because you're just going to beat me up. And they say, oh, no, no, we're not. And as soon as the door closes behind them, what do you hear? is them beating the shit out of them. Exactly. What makes what comes later on with these characters kind of fulfilling when uh well we'll get to it when we get to it. Um yep, I, I coined the new phrase here, rape den. <laughs> Folks on cinema degeneration. You hear it here first, not that I'm proud of it, but we did it.
1: Mixed with our uh, Peter Bark, Lawrence Harvey clone pulling a Dennis <laughs> Hopper from blue velvet with a pair of panties.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I never I never put the two and two like, together, but he does kind of pull a, a little Dennis Hopper. That dude is straight, just
1: wheezing these in as hard as he can.
0: He's practically inhaling them. (laughs) He's practically eating the damn things. Mm, Yuck. yuck.
1: They're definitely like a permanent part of his sinuses now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love how when it's at night and Alex is still hanging from his conjoined twin and Ramon And Patricia just pass him up, and they they kind of look over their shoulders at him, but they don't even kind of register. I don't even know if they thought that was him or if that was just some random dude. But they just pass him by, like, oh, look, there's there's Alex being hung from the tree. We'll just keep going to the bar.
1: Yeah, that scene jumped out to me because the look Ramon gives him is just, fuck you, buddy. Didn't expect to see you here, but glad you're hanging. Bye. (laughs) Just not going to stop. Not going to do shit. Just let this dude go. I'll just let nature do the job I couldn't finish.
0: Ah, that's a good way of putting it, completing the job that he couldn't finish.
1: <laughs> that was the biggest middle finger this dude could imagine, even after trying to kill him multiple times.
0: <laughs> Killed his conjoined twin, couldn't kill him, but, you know, uh, yeah, it's just, again, this adds another chef's kiss to this movie. Yep. Now, I forgot to write it down, but it's on the edge of my brain, was the name of the bar... They were going to that really bad dive bar that they end up going to. Was that called the Lost Mine?
1: Yes, it's the Lost Mine.
0: Okay, good. My memory ain't so bad after all. (laughs) This is where I noticed that the dad's already there. And for some reason, he's dressed like a comedic Nazi. If the shoe fits. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's pretty much what he is. But I mean, with the red armband and the black Gestapo style suit that he's wearing, the dad is just I don't like the dad. And again, you're not meant to. Not meant to like the son of a bitch, but yeah, I really didn't like him. I was glad to see him go when he went. But this is where everything is starting to come to a head. We're in our final moments of the movie here. I think with the combination of A, him trying to kill his daughter as opposed to giving out the money, there's no redemption for him. So there's no reason to like him anymore. There was no reason to like him in the first place, but when he shows up with a suitcase and they go to make the exchange once uh, Ramon and Patricia show up and everything in the place just stops... Because doesn't, I can't remember the sequence of events here, but doesn't Luis, the would-be husband, say that he invited the TV and the newscaster there, and that kind of is what sets old daddy off? Yes. Right.
1: whole <laughs> no notion of this just being televised. Look at how much of an asshole this guy is on TV.
0: <laughs> right. But he shows up and he, they go to make the exchange, and the, the suitcase, like atomic suitcase or whatever, is filled with old comics it's and magazines. Old comics. I thought that, man, what a, like a double fuck you. Like he never, he he had his bases covered. He was a very, using the term here, efficient villain because he blew up the ship and he had no qualms about trying to kill his daughter and this entire group and blowing up part of the planet with this little baby nuke that he has. And he goes and leaves the bar before Patricia and Ramon show up just to make it look like that he's making this grand entrance for the TV news cameras. It's set up like a K-Fob style wrestling that oh wait we weren't we're, we're supposed to be here yet i'll make another entrance right right <laughs> but i love when he says when aruho the dad plans on everybody dying did a dialogue here he says the moment of the apocalypse has arrived prepare to die i'm like dude the apocalypse is already here
1: Right. We're on a desert planet in the middle of a galaxy after you just nuked whatever world we were supposed to be on. Right. (laughs) What apocalypse? What else apocalypse is there? (laughs) What?
0: (laughs) How could it become any more of an apocalypse? Like, dude, it was already there. You really think that's going to be it, but then Alex shows up and pops Papa one right between the eyes, and then it just becomes the shootout at the OK Corral. It's like the Wild Bunch all over again. Everybody is shooting lead and spending lead like a no tomorrow, but they're all horrible shots. They're in this bar that's so small, but nobody is hitting anything except for would-be extras that are just cannon fodder. And w- once again, kudos to the effects team because this is done in the day long before CGI blood was the norm. And seeing all those beautiful squibs just makes my dark heart happy.
1: It really does. It's just one of those things where you know. Every part of this was practical. Every aspect of it had to be rehearsed. It had to be shot just right. Just, mm.
0: Yeah, it just makes me long for the days when stunt choreography and effects choreography went so well hand in hand together, and it wasn't all done in post. Now I'm not saying everything is done in post these days, because a lot of a lot of filmmakers still do it, take a more physical approach to it, but not like this. And again, spending bullets and spending lead like it's no tomorrow. I love when the TV reporter's like, I'm on television, I'm on television, I'm a TV personality, and then he just gets blasted. <laughs>
1: Oh, your TV personality? Good. Goodbye.
0: <laughs> blow them away. It's a good start. It's a good start with them. You could just take up Kardashian's necks and we'd have a really happy place in our lives.
1: <laughs> I love the writing of this. Everything about this movie, the writing is just top notch across the board. I'm going to throw my opinions in and I'm not beating you over the head with them because I'm going to let the movie do the talking for me. It's fantastic.
0: Yes. Well, speaking of like the humor and, and just throwing things out there, Ramon and his buddy Garcia, this, the bartender at the bar, that he's got, he's kind of in cahoots with. They're out of ammo, so they're just like, "Let's drink." Uh, right.
1: Oh, we're we're done. All right, cool. I guess give me a shot.
0: <laughs> give me a shot. Right. Patricia, though, she doesn't take no for an answer, and she failure is not an option. And she crawls up over the bar to go for the one gun that's the closest, and what happens? She bumps into the bomb and accidentally turns it on. Yep. Ah, oh, that's when you know shit's going to really hit the fan here soon. I mean, we're in the final moments of the movie. I mean, and I'm really surprised still to this day when Ramon takes the the bomb and makes the suicide run to go blow up all the police that are outside waiting to come in. It's probably the one of the two things in the movie that didn't make sense to me is why did he all of a sudden come around? Right. You know, it just, it didn't make sense. And maybe he, I don't know, maybe he had regrets after killing half dozen of his teammates, but it didn't make up for what he did, but it did. It was just a weird turn. It's like, oh, well, maybe he wasn't a complete asshole. He was only like 90, you know, 95% asshole.
1: I think when he grabbed the bomb to go run out there and, all right, let, let's just end this. I feel like it's not done to be a decent person as much as it is. He knows he's backed into a corner. There's no prison time that you're staring down the barrel of. Basically, there's no way to wiggle out. You're leaving this in a body bag. So I think this dude is 100% just throwing in the towel at this point. You know what? If I'm going out, I'm taking some of you with me.
0: You know, good point. Good point. Probably just that survival mode is like, well, I can't survive. I'm cornered like a rat in a cage. I might as well just take out as many of these motherfuckers as I can. Basically. The disgusting aspect of this movie is not done yet. We got to put Alex through the ringer one more time. When he finally stands up from behind the bar after the bomb goes off, presumably killing the police and Ramon outside, brought the ceiling of the bar down on almost everybody. Everybody is crushed. The family, is they're all dead. Ramon is dead. Alex is still alive, but he manages to pull apart and separate from his decaying brother. But what he always wanted to do, because he always wanted to separate from his brother, he always wanted to get an operation. Well, he just had to get the guy involved. And that did it. But... Whew, that's another cringe-worthy moment.
1: Yeah, just like the crunching sound when the body separates.
0: Yeah, and you just see that shoulder stump sticking out. Yep. I did find it ironic that big metal plate had fallen over Patricia. He manages to pull her off, but that they're both missing the opposite arm, yep. so they almost become like twins themselves, helping each other up and. Trisha lost her right arm, he lost his left, and they kind of fit together. I always thought if they had a sequel that maybe they would have, like, been joined together and surgically adhered themselves to one another. Thirty years later, we're not likely to get a sequel, but one can dream. Like you said, okay, maybe we'll get one in comic book form sometime down the road. Stranger things have happened.
1: I'll be hollering for this from the sidelines for as long as it takes.
0: Yes, I'll holler long and loud. But, uh... I think that the last thing we got to mention here is the last shot of the movie that plays over the credits where the miners pop up after mm-hmm. death. After they're all blown up and just sit there and sing that hymn as Alex and Patricia exit carrying machine guns. And that's it. That's the end of the movie. Then wandering out into the wasteland. And the last two words I have written down in my notes here, this is beautiful chaos. And, right. that's, and that's where I got to leave it yeah that's the the end of our movie and as a longtime listener but first time guest, I know you know how things work around here we usually do a follow-up or summary of what we think about the movie and a rating on a scale from one to ten, one being the worst, 10 being the best so as you know guests go first, so have at it.
1: Across the board, aesthetically, this movie just hits all marks for me. Everything that the director and the writers were bringing to the scene just 100% hit it with me. All of the subtle politics, all of the symbolism, all of the comedy, all of the violence, just everything across the board, just an absolute wonderful film. And I am so glad to have it in my collection. I'm upset it took me forever to catch it, but I'm glad I have it now. So a solid 10 across the board for me.
0: I agree. I'll give my rating a little bit lower because I'm just a nitpicky bastard. I give it a a 9.5 out of 10. I was going 9 into our review but after discussing it with you, I'll give it a a 9.5 because there are just a few things that I can't get past. They're minor imperfections. I've been a big champion of this movie ever since it came out in the 90s. It's got a wicked sense of humor. It's got some socio-political things to say that I think are still very relevant today about the clear-cut line between the haves and the have-nots or is it this case they say the beautiful people and the ugly people but i think that's why this movie i sum it up in two words beautiful chaos it really just is it's near perfection for me so i gotta give it a nine and a half out of ten that's solid yeah that's that's solid well um that being said i think we'll stick a pin in this one for the evening i have had an amazing time Kay. i hope we can parlay this into you coming on on the regular i would love that Yeah, I hope you had as much fun as I did, because I know we only get to see each other twice a year at Wasteland. You know, it's funny that the first show that you're coming on is a Wasteland-themed show. The humor of that is not lost on me. Of course. (laughs) Because it fits.
1: Exactly. I'm super amped. I'm doing this thing this month where I'm trying to watch 100 horror movies or so. I've got plenty of ammo.
0: (laughs) Right, right. I think I'm only on about 33, so...
1: I've hit 61.
0: (laughs) Damn,
1: son. <laughs> so basically, Damn. like, my brain is just pudding. It's fine.
0: <laughs> so what's the last movie you watched besides this one?
1: Let's see. Axion Mutante was yesterday. I'll give you the rundown of the ones I've watched today. Let's see. And thank God for my job not blocking Tubi, because, man, I don't know what I would be doing. <laughs> Let's see. Prom Night 2, One Dark Night, Invitation to Hell, but that movie kind of sucked. Uh, Beyond Evil. the fun john saxon movie um, oh, i haven't seen
0: that that's a john saxon i have not seen
1: silent scream which also wasn't very good i rounded out my work day with inferno and then watched bloody pit of horror when i got home
0: Ooh, inferno good choice good giallo yeah i love that movie Well, um, before we head off here, I just want to thank you once again for coming on the show. And where might people find you and your wares? Because I know you had a a film you worked on just here last year, Drain Snake Massacre. Is that available? Is there a place where people can find that and find you?
1: We are still filming that. It's still getting worked on. So Drain Snake Massacre is still up and coming. Me, I'm on Facebook. I'm just not on it very often, but I'm more active on Instagram than anywhere else and it's just username cannibal anthem but cannibal is spelled wrong because some jerk is sitting on the actual spelling
0: <laughs> ah well the hell with them
1: right <laughs> yeah and thank you for having me on this is a blast cameron
0: oh well thank you for being uh, such a steady listener and always being a champion of what i do i appreciate it and it's nice to know i got somebody in my corner
1: <laughs> hey friends support friends
0: <laughs> yeah exactly Well, again, folks, you have been listening to Cinema G Generations post-apocalyptic wasteland revival in our appreciation month. And to us review and dissect Action Mutante, a.k.a. Mutant Action from 1993. I have been your host, Cameron Scott. This is my lovely co-host, Kay Crawford, and we bid you a fond farewell.